Hello and welcome to Uncertain Urchins, the podcast that finds the positive stories in these weird and uncertain times. On this week's episode, we have Kevin Miller of Whitehawk FC and Katie Cross of Pledgeball and how their partnership is changing the world. Hello, Katie. Hello. You're all right? Sorry, I was just, <laughs> just trying to get the kids to bed. <laughs> no, I've got one uh, running around downstairs like a maniac, <laughs> wanting to come in, basically. I never thought Kevin would be this early either, so, you know. <laughs> he was very prompt in time. I, I was, um, yeah, I was doing some stuff, and then suddenly realised it was eleven. I thought, oh, um, was it eleven or was it eleven fifteen? I better check. And it was eleven. And then I got a text message saying, "Hi, Kev. How are you?" And it was like, "Oh no." I didn't say that. I just said, "Do you want me to rearrange it?" I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. But underneath it just said, "Where are you?" I know. <laughs> We've only met once, I mean. <laughs> You're usually so punctual, Katie. I, it's Kev, honestly, I thought he was setting the... Uh... <laughs> oh, oh, all right, yeah, I fess up. No, to be fair, I was actually all listening right. to the, <laughs> the Bristol Radio interview just to check what it sounded like before I came on tonight. <laughs> there we go. Was it good? It was all right. Did we edited like it? it well. I had quite a moving theme tune behind me, so the whole way. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> what was it um i don't know like some background music but it sounded quite emotional so <laughs> yeah oh, it, sounded, it sounded better than i thought it did so that's all right oh you, re- you ready to get uh, emotional again <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah you're gonna put us a nice little ditty behind us are you <laughs> yeah some nice uh sort of pan pipes or something <laughs> that yeah. we're going Sort of yeah. Native American. It's classical, like you, but... <laughs> okay. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit of pan pipes would be okay, or maybe a little bit of classical if I can remember what it was, uh, what kind of uh, tune it is. I used to get people coming into the store um, saying to me, uh, you know, have you got that one that goes da 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 da? And I was like, of course, yeah, yeah, I know that one, yeah. <laughs> or, or I'd get, I'd get people coming into me complaining because it was all CDs back in the in the in the day, and uh, they'd come up to me and say, "I bought this record um, last week and it's scratched." And I say, "Well, yes, sir. It's a recording from 1928. Um, it's you're not going to be able to get it digital, you know, from then." Yeah, but let's discuss this. I said, no, no, no. That's the original recording, so it's going to be scratched. Oh, yeah. okay. Thank you very much. Oh, god. We used to get we used to get um, stars coming in. I used to work at Tower Records in Piccadilly, and uh, I got into the, the the store. I always wanted to get in there, and uh, I, I the only place that was available was the classical department, and I knew nothing about classical music. So I thought, well, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. And they gave you rather than um, uh, uh, an interview, they gave you an interview, but they gave you a questionnaire, and it was like a music quiz, and it was like eight pages long. Oh, wow. And uh, you, had, you had to be really knowledgeable. And all the staff there were brilliant. And uh, we used to get, you know, because it was West End, we used to get little stars coming in. And um, we had Christopher Lee, who was a, a regular. And yes. um, he, yeah, he was, he's a big, imposing man. And he has the very actor's voice, you know. And he used to come in and he used to go and pick a load of classical CDs up and put them on the counter and he'd say, I'll pick them up next time I'm here, you know, and he's gone off to do something. And three months later, he'd come back and he'd buy, you know, 30, 40 CDs at a go. 
and then go off and it'd be great. And then one day he came in and he picked up a whole bunch of CDs and said, uh, would you mind putting these behind the counters? Yes, no, thank, uh, no problem, Mr. Lee, no problem. How's things? Very good, thank you. And off he went. Um, and then uh, one um, eager beaver decided to have a bit of a clear out behind the counters and put them all back. <laughs> oh, brilliant. So, he came back. I've come to got my CDs. Ah, now, Mr. Lee, now we've had a bit of a, we've been on a bit of an economy drive. We've been trying to do what? And he just went into a big actor's rant. You know who I am. Yeah, it was. It was, don't you know? So I said, okay, look, we'll, we'll assign someone to you and you can go through the whole lot again. We'll go and get it all up again and we'll do a discount and blah, blah. Yes, yeah, well, you know, and it's, oh, dear. It was now, just how, so how tall? was he because he's pretty tall right six five something like that yeah oh and a God. big you know imposing six five not a skinny six five and um, did he summon saruman on you or not oh yeah especially <laughs> when you get the of the valkyries coming in and he's walking in going, and then the smoke behind him <laughs> oh my god he puts Blimey. his coat on it, he puts it over like that you know um, <laughs> so that that's yeah, quite yeah. a colorful uh background that you've got that you sent me earlier especially with your uh music football arts how does that yeah. all how does that all tie in how did, is it just basically all your hobbies you're just like right i love all of this i'm gonna do all of it it's funny it's all it's all happened by chance i suppose um i was um born in london we moved to to margate when in the 70s so i spent most of my school life in the set in the 70s and early 80s in in margate and cliftonville and Broadstairs, that kind of area yeah Went to college there, went to Canterbury University, and then I always wanted to come back to London. And I got um, I got a job at as a trainee manager at Freeman Hardy Willis, mm, okay. um, mm. up in Woolwich. And so it, it managed to, I managed to get out of Margate, which was great at the time. I was about twenty one, and I stayed <laughs> at my nan's. She lived in East Ham, Eastenders, um, West Ham by birth. Nice. And, um, so I, it was quite easy to get across the ferry and stay at my nan's for six months and kind of just got through that kind of assistant manager, manager thing. And I, and I knew it wasn't, I, I didn't really want to do it, but I knew it was a kind of a, an in to get to, to London. Yeah. Um, and then a friend of mine had a, a flat in Maida Vale and he told me that there was a, a flat going underneath his flat. And um, I managed to get that flat in Maida Vale and then, moved jobs as quick as I could and just potted around. And then someone offered me a job at uh, a little record label in Cricklewood called Kingdom Records that were doing jazz, classical music, reggae, um, and serious dub, which was a real mix. Um, and it was one really, really, you know, it was poor money, but I thought, oh, this is going to be fun. And it just went from there, really. You know, I, I did a little stint at Shelley Shoes in uh, a little bit of Shelley Shoes, which was great because it was right in Camilla Carnaby Street around about 88, 89, which was all the big rave thing was going on, which was brilliant. Um, nice. And then, yeah, I went to, to work, I tried to get into Tower first and, eat, and um, I failed the music quiz, which I was really annoyed about. So um, I actually got the job at Tower on my 30th birthday. Oh, lovely. And, um, and, you know, it was on, it was on a pittance. It was on really, really silly money per hour. And I should have been doing a lot more than that, but I kind of knew that, you know, once I got in, I could make a career of it. Um, and, you know, 
classical was a great start. And then I spent some time in the soundtrack department and the singles department, the jazz department, and and, and just built up the knowledge and just kept going. And I, I was ended up being duty manager and managing the store for a while. Then went to head office and worked in marketing and then went to the magazine. And then, you know, it just kind of went from there. Um, so I suppose it's kind of experience takes you through as much as qualifications. Yeah. So you, yeah. Oh, I bet you had some real awkward customers, didn't you? Obviously, Christopher oh. Lee sounds a bit of a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was just hilarious. You know, and, and you'd get, you know, people come in, you'd get um, Shane McGowan came in and fell down the stairs with everything stores. <laughs> The Osborne came in to do an in-store at midnight and we had to guide him to where the seats were because he was so off his head. Um, We had Iron Maiden come in doing in-stores and driving a tank down Piccadilly. Um, Mariah Carey did an in-store and um, it was so crowded that I ended up in Regent Street crowd surfing virtually because there were so many people and I got hit by a bus. Because I was, was, so, was so big that it spilled out onto Regent Street and I got hit by the wing mirror of a, of a number six bus. Oh, um, Jesus. And she only saw about 10 people and there was about 5,000 people there. Um, and it stopped the traffic and the police got involved and it all got a bit messy. But uh, yeah, it was just, you know, it was just great times because, you know, you, you the shop opened from nine in the morning till midnight every night except Sundays. And so you'd run shift work and, you know, you'd do um, various shifts. And if you're doing the, the end of the day shift, you'd have to go down and collect all the money and tot it all up and stick it in the safe and then we'll get cabs. And I'd be home by at half one, two o'clock in the morning. Um, but then you'd have things like that. You'd wake up the next, I'd do a seven o'clock shift and open the store, undo all the alarms and undo all the doors and the fire doors. And I remember one day I walked in and I, and I turned the alarms off and I was the only one there. The cleaners came in. And I'm morning, morning, you know, and get everything ready. And then all of a sudden, this bloke just walked down the stairs and walked out. And I went, he went, morning. I went, hello. You've right been here all night. <laughs> yeah, he goes, yeah. He said, um, I went to the jazz department and I was so drunk. <laughs> I fell asleep on the sofa. <laughs> and good job I didn't move because I would have set the alarms off. And so I just fell asleep and he just walked out. I was like, oh, oh God. <laughs> yeah, so you know we'd have all those, all those kind, of, and it was you know it was it was the nineties. It was bit pop. It was Blur versus Oasis. It was, you know, it was, it was cool great, basically. It was just great to be part of. Yeah. Um, Katie, have you uh, had any run-ins with celebrities? I mean, I met the Queen once. Does does that count? Oh, shut <laughs> up! <laughs> no, I'm not even kidding. I did meet the Queen. I've just reeled really off all those celebrities, <laughs> and you've just trumped them <laughs> with Queen. <laughs> Queen of England. The Queen oh, of England. She's about my height, actually, as well. She's about Is my she? height. Is yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the main one I can think of. No, I had to present her with some uh, flowers in Canterbury on a Monday Thursday. <laughs> so I had to give her a bouquet of flowers. <laughs> so random. Were you a kid? Uh, I was 18 at the time. I was at school. Mm. Um, and yeah, so I went to school around the cathedral and they had like Maundy Thursday. And I, so I had to present her with some flowers. 
so random. Ooh. I waved at her in a, she drove past on the A369 in a, <laughs> a big, big black Rolls Royce. As, as you do. And we all had to stand on the side on the grass verge and just wave her. And we couldn't see her because all the windows were tinted. So it could have been anyone, to be honest. Um, I, pitched... I think I read that in her memoir that, that she saw you. Yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> I think you're right. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> well, I um, I think the most random thing I ever did with a celebrity was a uh, pinch. Oh, here uh, we go. Three, three, uh, pinch <laughs> Nick Clegg's bum. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> while in yeah. a clownfish outfit. Uh, so I worked at an aquarium at the time and it was the oh, I can't remember what election it was 20 I want to say 2010 and um yeah they were doing when the Bristol this is when you worked in the Bristol aquarium is it yeah and they were doing the uh debates at the Arnold Feeney can you remember that oh yeah yeah and uh so yeah they had all sky and everyone there and Adam Bolton pushed me out of the way because I was annoying he was like an anchor for uh <laughs> Sky News, and I just did it. I thought, well, no one's going to hit a clownfish like a big toy, are they? <laughs> and yeah, it was, you know, it is inappropriate, but I went there basically. Um, I digress. We should probably talk about uh, the main reason that we're actually here. Although I do want to hear about Kevin's life <laughs> and your running with the Queen. Um, I'll start with you, Katie. Um, in the intro, I've I've obviously already mentioned you, but uh, <laughs> could you tell us um, what is Pledgeball? So Pledgeball is an initiative which aims to change the world. So basically it aims to encourage people primarily within the football community to make small changes in their lifestyles and collectively have a huge impact on the planet. So this came about because people don't realise the amount of power that they have. You know, they think that somebody else has to make the decisions to reduce our carbon emissions and therefore positively impact the planet. But that isn't the case. We can have a huge impact as long as we all together make those small lifestyle changes. So Pledgeball asks the football community to make those small lifestyle changes because there are such huge numbers in football and there are so many people coming together on a regular basis for one common cause. And so yeah. if they all together choose to also make some small changes to their lifestyles, collectively, we have a huge impact in reducing carbon emissions. Does that answer the question? Uh, definitely. <laughs> um, so how, how does it go into a little bit more detail about how it works? So how do people make um, these pledges? So when we're talking about football, we have we hold competitions. We've essentially gamified it. So we have pledge offs. So one team has to one team of fans has to support their team by choosing to make small lifestyle pledges via the website. The carbon emissions that they save then get tallied with the rest of their that of the rest of their fellow fans. Yeah. And so you have a total amount of carbon emissions saved by that group of fans, and that gets compared to the other team of fans. So I expect Whitehawk, for example, <laughs> to basically win the pledge off every week because their team of fans are going to start this whole process and start the process of changing the world through football by pledging and making these small pledges. So the pledges um, range from using a reusable cup 
all the way up to installing solar panels. Those are ones that are offered on the website. Okay. And I mean, there's about 45 of them. Um, and I mean, it's never growing list, but basically they've been put together because of the relative impact they can have. Okay, so would that be sort of a leaderboard through a season? Would you judge it like that? Like, so would say if Whitehall yeah. was smashing it, um, every it's every home game, isn't it, that you judge it on? Well, it's every game. Every home game, we're going to do a little bit more of promotion. So we're going to okay. choose, uh, we're going to ask the Whitehawk fans which pledges they would like to focus on for the season. And so for those home fixtures, we are going to focus on a particular pledge. But it's going to be every game. And so you can pledge off every game. So you'll have a winning team each game. But there'll also be, it means we can put teams in a league according to how much their team of fans has, has pledged to save. Amazing. And um, Kev, can you tell us a little bit about Whitehawk, please? Uh, yep. So Whitehawk are based in East Brighton. Um, they were formed 75 years ago this year. Um, they were called Whitehawk Manor Old Boys um, just after the war and have basically been sort of bobbing around the sort of county leagues for seven, 65 of those years. Um, and yeah, East Brighton is um, a population around about 14 and a half thousand. It's a kind of district of, of, of the city. Um, it's the, the less um, well-known area because everyone knows about Brighton and Hove and, you know, there's been billions of pounds of investment into the seafront and, and Hove actually, um, where most of the uh, uh, London by the sea people ended up living. Um, but Whitehawk has, has had, has, uh, in the 30s and 40s, there was an estate built um, in that area and it's kind of in a valley. So it was, it was kind of just um, almost as though they, they kind of hid it. And um, over okay. the years, it grew and grew and it became, there's about eight and a half thousand there now. And about 25 years ago, yeah. as all these big estates have done across the country, they got into social deprivation. Um, there wasn't so much in the way of, um, of investment. The schools weren't particularly good. And um, it, it, it became quite a, a, a deprived area. Um, one of the most deprived, socially deprived areas in the country at one stage. Um, so over the last few years, there's been a real effort to try and change that. And, um, it's been working, a lot of community groups have set up a lot of, um, groups within the, 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 the estate have changed, but Whitehawk football club kind of sits adjacent toward, to the estate. And it kind of had that, certainly within the city, it kind of had a reputation of being the estate club. And, right. um, okay. and so it was because of the um, the reputation of, of the area, um, I suppose um, people kind of looked down upon it and didn't want to go there or do anything, you know, and, um, you know, sort of dawned upon it. And ironically, outside of the city, you know, we're just another football club. Um, mm -hmm. But it really was, you know, we've got a city of what, 300,000. 300, um, and yeah, I mean, and you mentioned um, when I first arrived two years ago, I would go to um, network events and do my usual, you know, sort of breakfast clubs and, you know, stand there with a coffee in my lanyard and shake hands and give cards out and, and do all that. And and I'd pass the card over and they'd look at it and go, oh, no, Whitehall Football Club? Oh, no, not what you mean, the estate club. 
Oh. And I used to say, oh, okay, um, so um, I can't um, ask for your support then. Oh, no, 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 never, never get mugged. And it was this kind of attitude. So I thought, okay, well, after a few months of this, I thought, well, no, we can't, we can't have this. This is not right. We've got to change this. And on the steps of the main stand, which has been there over 50 years, the fans, uh, the ultras, uh, which is a kind of ironic name because – Ultras have a connotation of being, um, you know, sort of balaclavas and mm. very political, and then really not. Um, it was kind of an ironic gesture. But they'd, um, on the steps of the main stand, which isn't big, um, they'd put some words on the yellow health and safety steps as you go up. And it starts off with love, peace, no racism, no violence, no sexism, no homophobia. And I, when I walked in the first time, and I looked at those steps and saw some of the old volunteers that were there. And, you know, these are not, this is non-league football and it's a real passion for a lot of people. Yeah, and of they've, been, they've been, some of them have been there 30, 40, 50 years. I mean, our treasurer is 80 and he's been there 50 years this year. Um, and so these are the guys that have kept the club going. And they're all, they all, every, every half, uh, every, every hour, they have a cup of tea in the mornings, you know, they have a, a tea at 9.30, a tea at 10.30, and you hear them shout, tea up, and it's very old, <laughs> old school, carry on type. Yeah. But they sat in, and they sit in the same stand when I first got there, and um, I thought, this is great, and the, the surrounding, as Katie will tell you, is beautiful. They're right in the middle of, right at the bottom of the Sussex Downs, and uh, it's a really nice environment. And I saw these steps, and I, I thought to myself, right, if we're going to change the perception of what this club's all about, that those those phrases are they they're the ones that we're going to try and uh, utilize to to change the perception of the club and um, so first thing I did was went to speak to the ultras in their pub in their local pub and sat there and said you know right what do we want what do we have to do to change the way that people think of white football club and they gave me a they gave me a whole bunch of, of things that they'd like to see and like to do um, and I tried to integrate that into how we sell the club and the, the, the affirmation came about 18 months later when last December um, we were awarded uh, Active Sussex, which is a, a funding charity, um, Sussex Club of the Year. And um, because of all the work we'd done to try and change the way that people thought of us and uh, um, you know, their stance on homophobia and racism yeah. was kind of already there. Um, and they'd been doing some amazing work. Um, but I just, it, I suppose, you just needed someone from the club to channel it and and to to look at the opportunity. I suppose. Um, and when we got the club of the year, it was you know you go to network events now and it's aren't you club of the year rather than aren't you the estate club? Again, Katie will tell you. You know, going to non-league football, you know, it's it's very traditional um, and it's usually frequented by the traditional old school version is like flat cap. One, you know, old man and his dog, um, a couple of kids playing around and uh, everyone just shouting at the referee. Um, that still goes on. Um, but, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a new generation and, you know, Brighton is, is, is so similar to Bristol. You know, it's young, it's vibrant, it's dynamic. It's got a lot of things going for it. It's got some amazing, um, you know, sort of bars and clubs and, and there's a real vibrancy here. And there's a lot of young people. So, we just thought, well, you know, that's who we should be targeting, the new generation of, 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 of football fans that can't afford to go to Brighton and have Albion because, um, they, you know, they charge anything from £20, 20 upwards uh, when they're allowed to go. Um, 
And then, you know, your program and your beers and all that, you're looking at 50, 60 pounds and they can't afford that. So there is an alternative and there's a place where you can go where you can drink on the terraces. You can have a cigarette if you want. You can, you know, you can have a, have some fun. You can go from one end of the, of the pitch uh, behind the goal and then at halftime go to the other side. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, there's a freedom, there's freedom there. And, 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 it, and it, it kind of bore out last, towards the end of last season, um, we were doing quite well in the league. You know, we are, we're in the Isthmian League Southeast, which is the fourth step of the football non-league pyramid. So you have the National League, National South, National North, um, the Isthmian League Premier, and then, then us. And just before a game, um, uh, just before lockdown, there were, I, know, I was in the bar and it was quite busy and there was, there was about half a dozen lads just standing at the bar, just outside the bar, um, having a few drinks. And I could tell that I'd never seen them before um, because, again, at non-league, you get to see um, and know as many people as who come in. They become regulars. Mm. And um, the teams were just about to come out, uh, about five to three. And one of them said to his other mates, he said, come on, boys, we've got to go out because the um, game's about to start. And they all started drinking up. And I went up to them and I said, lads, lads, it's all right, it's all right. Take your beers with you. It's clear they'd never been to a non-league game before. And they go, what do you mean take the beers out with you? I said, yeah, this is non-league. You know? <laughs> Come on, go and stand over there. And then at the halftime, go and stand over there. Oh, right. Thank you very much. Yeah, cheers. And then at the end of it, I caught them again. And I said, so what do you think then? And they go, oh, it's great, isn't it? It's brilliant. You know, and it's only a tenner. Um, and they can, you know, they can have that freedom and it becomes a thing. And so when they go to work or college or university on the Monday... And they say, you know, what did you get up to at the weekend? They said, oh, it's Whitehall. Why? What do you mean Whitehall? Yeah, that's the that's the estate club. No, it's not like that at all. It's this, 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 this. this. Oh, we'll go next time. So, the chance are pretty special. Did you, uh, did you join in with any of those, Katie? How did you find your experience? Uh, <laughs> I when you went Oh, it was amazing. I, it was absolutely amazing going down there. Because as Kev said, when I drove down there, um, like you drive down from the Sussex Downs, and behind, as you drive down to the pitch, you can just see the sea behind with this massive wind farm. Uh, and then everyone's really friendly the minute you go in. Everyone knows that you haven't been there before. <laughs> <'Cause>... <laughs> <Fresh> <laughs> but they're really friendly. And yeah. like Kev said, it is amazing because at half time you switch ends. So you, you're behind the goal for, for <laughs> each, each, each half. It's oh, absolutely brilliant. And the chants are amazing. And they got this real thing with stickers as well. So I mm. got um I got given white special white hawk stickers. Oh, I love a sticker. When I was down there. And I and there was I uh, I mean I stood by a red lobster when I Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, the mascot. Oh my god. The mascot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but um it, it's a it's a girl called a lady called Marion and she's been coming going home and away for years and uh, her and her husband Tim. Um and um I think the story was that um we we didn't have a hawk mascot um and she goes well i've got a mascot you know an outfit and she came in with, and turned up with this lobster costume <laughs> and we kind of adopted her now so i i keep asking the, the the board whether we should adopt the lobster as our official mascot because um <laughs> it will so create a, but you're called the hawks why have you got a lobster well we couldn't afford a hawk you know so, uh, <laughs> well maybe the hawk caught a lobster Oh, yeah, yeah, it's actually a very <laughs> rare form of hawk lobster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's perfect. Oh, yeah, um, but you know, like you said, there there are 
there are clubs like us. There are clubs that have, have, have done more um, and, and been very progressive in, the, in in what they've done. I mean, Forest Green Rovers are now um, in the in League Two in the, in the in the professional league. But you know, ten years ago, they were kind of in the same position we were. Um, yeah. Okay, they've got a very very rich benefactor, um, and he's pushing a real environment environmental agenda, uh, and it's working. Um, but there are other clubs. There's there's Dulwich, Dulwich, uh, Dulwich Hamlet. Um, there are clubs up in up in North Lewis as well. I worked at Lewis for four years and had a fantastic time there. Um, so um, yeah, there there are a, a few pockets of, of non-league clubs who are trying to do something different um, and 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 just reacting to their community. Match made in heaven, Katie, isn't it? Pledge ball and white ball. Whitehawk has uh, opened way more doors. Yeah, Whitehawk has opened a whole load of doors that you just would never expect. I think what we like to do is is you know, we just like to just do it. You know, there's a lot of clubs. You know, the clubs mm. I've been to as well, where where you know they'll they'll sit around the table and go, yeah, we should be doing this and we should be doing that, and um, you know, let's plan for that and let's do that in 18 months. And no, just do it. You know, just just get on with it. Yeah, and 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 then you know you're not doing anything wrong. You're trying to 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 enhance people's perception. Um, you're trying to make everything equal. Um, so just just embrace it and 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 see what happens. Um, you know the fact that we've got a huge LGBTQ plus community in Brighton, and the um, uh, the Brighton. And, Brighton Pride is is international now. You know we have half. A oh my god! I've been up. so many times. Have you? Well, that's a messy. <laughs> but then messy you know that <laughs> it's carnage. Sophie Cook, who you saw in the video, um, you know, ex mm. press photographer for Bournemouth, um, um, trans uh, transgender. She she she, she transed around about two thousand and twelve, two thousand something like that, um, and. Um, you know, when she came to to Whitehawk, um, she'd been going a bit more uh, before I arrived. But she came to me and said, you know, she wanted to put together a team, and um, she couldn't think of anywhere better to to do it because of our uh, our kind of stance on in- inclusion. So we created this team called Rainbow Rovers. Um, David Shrigley designed the, the the kit for us, which is brilliant, and oh, we I played a team kit. of ex- yeah ex Premier League all stars. You know, we had. Um, Paul Walsh and a few Man United boys, um, Russ, uh, Lee Martin and uh, uh, Keith Gillespie. Um, and there's a guy called John Holmes, who's the senior editor at Sky Sports News on the website. And uh, he runs an, uh, a media agency called Sports Media LGBT. So when we when Sophie spoke to him about it, he was all over it and said, you know, I said to him, is there any chance we can get a camera down? Um, and he said, look, leave it with me. And we had a Sky Sports News camera down all day, which, That's of course, brilliant. changed everything because it meant that, you know, we would, you know, it, we got some incredible publicity for it. And we think that, you know, it's the right thing to do because, you know, 50,000 of, um, of our population are either LGBT, um, there's, there's 60,000 who are students. Um, and there's a whole, you know, that's a third of the city um, that we, you know, that other clubs kind of might miss out on and, well, that's it, isn't it? I think football's so much more than just watching a game of football, isn't it? Um, 
I know so many people as well that just, you know, you, you, we all know those people that just hate football. They hate everything about it. They hate the players, how much money they get paid, but they've never been to a live game or been around the sort of day-to-day running of a football club. And I think that's so important. And if they can go to somewhere like you guys as well, just to, to break them in, <laughs> perhaps, <laughs> uh, might be a good idea. I mean, Katie, obviously with with pledgeable as well you're going to be wanting to create like a a wider community um have you got any projects in the pipeline uh, or any ways that you are going to to reach out to not only people in bristol but obviously you've got white hawk now in uh, in sussex so taking over the yeah, world so we've got that's it that's the, that's where we're starting isn't it kev mm-hmm. <laughs> what a lovely place to start <laughs> It is an amazing place to start. I mean, I'm already trying to plan to get down to the next game if if they're still allowed spectators. I'll go with you. Um, Can I come? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what we should do. Road we should trip. Road trip. But you'll have to come in the in the Nissan Leaf, which involves charging up along the way. <laughs> oh, I would expect nothing less. David Attenborough <laughs> would be so proud. <laughs> <laughs> um. Sorry. There's quite a lot potentially in the pipeline at the moment, um, some which I'm probably not allowed to mention, so I should probably oh. stay clear of. Um, I mean, one thing that, you know, we are really chuffed that we can, I know I can mention is that we've teamed up with something called Spirit of Football. And ah, they yes, are, yeah. yeah, so Spirit of Football, basically for the last, I don't know how many World Cups, have taken a football from Battersea Park, where the first football game was ever played, and they've taken it across various countries um, across sea to where the World Cup starts in time for the opening ceremony. So each time they take this ball and they take a message that essentially they carry with the ball and they ask dignitaries and professional footballers and those involved in the football world to sign the ball as a sign that they support the message that they're carrying. And for their next World Cup tour, they are going to not only to Qatar, but also to the Women's World Cup in Australia and New Zealand. And their message is about sustainability. So we are partnering with them and they are taking the pledge ball uh, from Batty Park across to the World Cups. Um, It's going to be a carbon zero journey. And everybody, they get to sign this ball, either the real ball or a virtual ball, they're going to ask to also make a pledge um, to Uh, demonstrate they are also doing their bid. Um, and we'll see what an impact that has. So that's that's one of the partnerships we're going to talk about. We've also got that's Kevin massive, Lewis. Katie. That's brilliant. Yeah, that is really exciting. You're like, yeah, think... <laughs> that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm never quite sure what I'm allowed to talk about and what I'm not. Uh, no, fair enough. Well, you think Jurgen their ambassador, so um, mm. that will be exciting. And then, uh, yeah, Kev talked about Lewis. We've um, Lewis are very keen to get involved. Um, both the women's and the men's team there. Lewis being on equal pay. <laughs> I was going to say, they're um, uh, quite high up the leagues as well, aren't they? Are they uh, championship? They're in the championship, yeah. 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 Fourth in yeah. the championship. Which also means that they, don't, they aren't allowed spectators, but the men's game are for Lewis. It's crazy, isn't it's it? Yeah. yeah. And uh, there's an amazing footballer there called Katie Rude, who is uh, a Kiwi international who plays for Lewis, who is going to be kind of face up pledge ball there for us which is very exciting um and then who else is gonna mention (laughs) 
Who else was I allowed to mention? Oh, and the gas girl. Hey, up the, the gas. gas. Up the gas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've got Matt coming on uh, on a pod soon, actually. So. Oh, have you? Oh, you can give him a bit of a, gas. a needle, yeah. <laughs> but um, the exciting thing is with Whitehawk is that not only have I actually, you know, got my first kind of partnership with the club, but I've also seen to have gained Kev and... Uh, a research fellow who is a big Hawks fan. <laughs> so we're actually going to do um, some proper research into the impact of Pledge Ball at Whitehawk so that we can make sure that going forwards, the that Pledge Ball actually leads to habitual change in people's lives. Because obviously, you know, at the moment, I'm registering as a charity, it's entirely unfunded. My, my aim is entirely to make sure that this change happens and that it is a sustained change within people's lives because it will have such a massive impact if that happens and so making sure that we do it in the right way which you know thanks to Kev and this research fellow and another of Kev's, Kev's friends <laughs> 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 uh, we're you know we're developing the strategy there and really making sure it's something that hits home and has a big impact well, that's it. It's so important. And like you said, if you can do it through the biggest sport in the world and just really tie it in, then then why not? You're obviously very passionate about, about, about football, about the environment and, yeah, social change. And, God, if we've ever needed social change, it's now, clearly. Well, look, I mean, it's a lot of people within even green technologies uh, do argue that actually – it's all very well developing green technologies, but the real impact on reducing our impact on the planet does have to come from behaviour change. Mm-hmm. Because if consumption just continues as it does, then even with green technology, we're not going to have a you know a huge impact. So, I really do think this is this has the potential to be to have a huge huge impact. And as you said, football is an absolutely ideal platform for it because you have so many people involved. You have this whole heterogeneous group of people coming together for one common cause and there's such passion behind it of course you want to support your team in winning a pledge off right <laughs> you don't let the other team I'm win really that now. <laughs> well, right. i mean there are there, there aren't many places now where where many you know the generations sort of congregate together um other than football and you know I've, I've seen it in other places where you have you know great granddad granddad son you know and and grandson in the same place um and i we, we did a um a thing with uh we set up a hawks in the community project um a year or so ago and we we did a thing called hawks heroes which was to get guys over 35 who perhaps let themselves go um who used to play football when they were kids to put themselves into a team and um have a 10-week program of fitness um, to play a, a, a team at Whitehawk at the end of the of the ten week program, um, they lost the collective eight stone, um, and they you know they started doing um, a little WhatsApp group where they were trying to compete against each other to see how much healthy food they were eating. Um, some went on and did you know park runs and things like that, and um, we the, the game at the end of the of the ten week period, which was all filmed through, um, we did it at um, at Whitehawk you know, just before the season last year, and we had 350 people turn up. And I said to the guys in the communities, it was virtually all Whitehawk Estate. 
And I said, um, look, we, we'll open the bar, but we won't open the food bar. And if you want to come down and, you know, do a, bar, a barbecue or, you know, sell some food and raise some money, then you're more than welcome. And they said, yeah, it's great. That's brilliant. And as I was walking around, I was looking at the the, the families of the kids um, and, and the kids that were watching, like, dad play football. And it was, someone come up to me and said, you know, my son has never seen my dad in a football kit, yet alone run around. Because he was only five. And, you know, of course, dad's not been doing anything for ages. And the, the mum came up to me and she said, um, it's great here, isn't it? I know so many people. And I said, well, that's because it's your community. It's your community. This is, this is, these are your people. This is, you know, you should come down to matches. This is what it's like on match day. Everyone from the people that, it, it, football's not just about, like you said, it's not just about um, watching a football match. It's to meet up with people. It's to say hello. It's to, it's to chat and gossip about things and, and talk about the world and, and get involved. And I was quite surprised. And I said, well, yeah, why didn't you come down? Oh, that was usually my, my husband used to bring, a, bring the kids down. It was, to be honest with you, it was nice to have a couple of hours off. <laughs> okay. That's kind of the sort of thing my nan used to say. You know? Yeah. Um, so next time when we play, come down, come down and watch a game. Bring the girls, you know. We, we've got, you know, if you want to have a Prosecco behind a bar, that's fine. You can come and have a, have a beer or whatever you want. Let's have, just use this place as your meeting place and you'll see the difference. And they did. And, you know, a couple of them bought season tickets and started really getting involved. And, and it, it was just, it's little things like that, you know, to sort of open up the doors and say football is, yes, it's, don't think of football as being Manchester United or Liverpool. You know, there's, if you open the door and look around the corner, there's a little football club down the bottom of your road that, do, that, that has aspirations just as big as May United and, and Liverpool but are doing it in their own way and they're doing it for your community. And that's, that's why I love doing what I do because it, it brings people together and it makes us all realize that, you know, we can't do it alone. We've got to all do it together. And, and it doesn't matter you know, whether it's um, a generational split or, or whether the old boys are there and the old boys, they keep moaning at me because, you know, they're, they're not, these are not politically correct people. These are people from the, you know, sort of sixties and seventies, um, and uh, they've not. It, it's all new to them. It's all this kind of attitude change, and so you know, um, I don't want to exclude them. In fact, I want to embrace them. I want them to be part because they're the uh, kind of the keepers of the keys at the moment. And we want them to. Invite, I don't want anyone to just walk away and 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 think, well, it's not my club anymore. It is their club, you know, and they should be a part of it as much as the the student who's uh, you know, has got his phone stuck to his face and is on Instagram all the time. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. It's about everyone. And that's why, you know, I think that doing something like pledge ball is going to open up so many doors and educate people without them actually realising, yeah. um, because they're doing it all together, and they're doing it all part as, as part of one one group. Um, and and actually, all the things they hear about in the news about eco and green and all that kind of thing. Well, we're doing it already, and I didn't really realise. You know, and that's that's what we want to use football for. Well, that's it. And I think sometimes it can be, become so overwhelming. It's like, well, what can I do? And if you can combine, yeah, the thing you love the most with an initiative and a football club that's going to move you into into the future, then and I'm all for it, Kev. All right? You have hit the nail on the head. It is, I mean, certainly when it comes to the climate, it is um, people, most people say it's overwhelming. Mm. That, yeah. You know, like I said, 
to start with, they don't really seem to realise how much power they have. And I think it's like 91% of the population just feel very alienated by any any talk of the climate, any kind of activism, because I think they just feel like it's entirely out of their hands. So, you know, Pledge Ball is supposed to be empowering. It's supposed to say, look, you, you have the power to make this difference. You just need to choose to do it and do it with your fellow fans and look what happens. Mm. Well, so you guys have made it relatable and I think that's the most important thing. You've you've, you've brought the two ideas together in a way that isn't making it forced upon you either. It's like, oh yeah, I could do that. And it's the the team that I love. Match made in heaven, Kev, guys. Kev, what have you pledged? Well, I've pledged. Yeah. Um, I might eat one of our vegan burgers. Um, <laughs> the um, uh, that was another thing. Again, it's like you know, changing things. I, I said to the board that um, I'm going to introduce vegan burgers into the into the cafe. What do you mean vegan burgers? What do you mean kind of that? What about the, what about the burgers? What about the <laughs> chips? Got to keep the chips. And I, and, and I said, it's all right, it's all right. It's a cauliflower burger. It's in a bun. It's a, oh, okay, all right, yeah. Um, and I said, well, we'll get rid of the, the, the polystyrene boxes and we'll change the paper, uh, cardboard boxes. We'd, we'll change the plastic cups and go to reusable cups um, for, for beer. Um, you know, and those sort of things, they're the instant pledges you can make. And that's what we want to try and do. Um, but it, it, it takes a while. We got rid of the polystyrene teacups. Um, and, you know, the, the plastic forks and knives and forks and things. But, you know, it will take time because you are coming against them. We're talking, I was talking to Katie about this early on today. Um, these football clubs have been around for hundreds of years. You know, these businesses have been around for hundreds of years. There's a generation and generation and generation that, that have been used to this kind of stuff. So whilst the Premier League might be seen as being dynamic and progressive and one of the biggest sporting products if not the biggest product in the world you know inside it it's very conservative and 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 quite reactionary and so mm. changing those perceptions are, are difficult and you know it, it, it it's tradition if you hear someone saying oh you know the the walk to the to the ground i've been doing it since i was five the smell of the onions as you walk past, you know, the, 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 the program sellers always there on the corner. You have a little nod to morning, afternoon, and all that kind of, you, you, that's your, your tradition. When you're a kid, that's what you, that's what endears you to football because it's a, um, it, it, it's a constant in your life. Everything else changes, but your football club never changes. And you're, you, you probably sit in the same place or stand in the same place for years. So changing those, those perceptions and changing those things are difficult um but although that is also a real strength in terms of yeah. trying pledgeable there because i mean it's routine it's like you said it yeah. becomes you know there, there is a real routine to lower league football match days because yeah. everybody can go it's not like with you know your, your top tier clubs where you're lucky if you get a ticket in the season you know you go every every week and you have the same routine and that's where you know if part of that routine is to pledge, then you can start to change habits. You can start to develop that habitual change. Mm. And that's another reason why football is such a good starting point for pledgeable. Mm, definitely. 